right, we're going to get started today, and uh, we are, this is going to be the second, uh, that clock, is it the same? Yeah, all I can see is Andy's shining face. Um, <clears throat> we will be, uh, we're in the middle of a series called Precious Gifts, and uh, we're going to have this week and next week uh, looking at some things that the scripture calls precious, and uh, I want us to pray before we get started, let's pray for all of our Sunday school teachers that this is their last practice um, and hopefully it's not their last nerve. Pray for them. And pray for our adult class today that the Lord would have His way. Let's join together in prayer. Lord Jesus, we come before You. Lord, we're thankful and privileged and honored to be here today. And Lord, we, we're not worthy to be in Your presence, we know, but we're glad that You have made us worthy to enter in. And Lord, we ask You that Your Word would have its way today. Lord, that You would touch and help in every uh, class as they're preparing today, that You would move and touch in this adult class, that You would anoint our ears to hear Your Word today, Lord. We believe you and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, last week we looked at uh, the blood of Jesus. Uh, it's a precious gift. We read that it was by the precious blood of Jesus. And we looked at a variety of things uh, that the blood of Jesus does for us. And again, uh, some of these things in this week as well, it may not be uh, the one particular thing uh, that you've never heard before, but grouping them all together in what the blood of Jesus does, and in the next couple of weeks as well, grouping some of these things that are precious gifts and everything that that entails, well, as much as we can fit in the next 40 minutes, because um, you can't fit the blood of Jesus into 40 minutes. Um, and we went through eight different things last week. We're not going to go through them all, but it does a variety of things in our life. It redeems us, it forgives us, it, it heals us. There's a variety of things it does, and I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. And I want to I keep in my mind... Uh, and the reason we're doing this precious gifts is because uh, our minds can get drawn away by all the other gifts that this season tries to present to us. But I want us to remember that there are some very precious gifts that Jesus has given us. And so this week, we're going to read from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. This is where we take our next gift from. And it says, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises." that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so this week we're going to look at the precious gift of his promises. Peter tells us that we have this exceeding great and precious promises in our life. And this morning, just like last week, I, I wanted to remind you how precious the blood of Jesus was. I want to remind you why the promises of God are so precious in our life. Aren't you thankful for the promises of God? Now, we find that there are unconditional promises found in Scripture. One of them is an unconditional promise. We know and we are guaranteed no matter what happens that the Lord will return and He's returning for a bride. It doesn't matter what happens in this world. The Lord is returning. Now, whether you go with Him or not, that's conditional. But it's unconditional promise that Jesus is returning. It's an unconditional promise that he is faithful and true to forgive you, okay? He will forgive you. So there's, there's these unconditional promises that we find in Scripture, and there's a number of them, and uh, we'll, we're going to look at a few of them later, but there's nothing that can change the fact of unconditional promises. Now, there are also conditional promises found in Scripture. <clears throat> and again, just like last week, uh, as I get into this, there's, there's really uh, no way to cover all the promises of God and all that they entail, but we're going to try and, and, and scratch the itch just a little bit this morning. 
Or if you say it the wrong way, itch the scratch. It's just, you don't, you don't itch anything, you scratch it. It's a pet peeve there as well. I'd just like to clarify that. So if you're keeping track, toilet paper the right way on the holder. You scratch an itch, you don't itch a scratch. So just keep track of all my pet peeves so you can annoy me even more. <laughs> but there's unconditional, I mean, there's conditional promises. We find one, a famous one, it says, If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then they will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Now, it's not a promise that he will heal our land. It's not a blanket promise. It starts out with, if my people do something. So that's a conditional promise we find in Scripture. In fact, uh, we mentioned it before that he will forgive us, but there is a condition at the start of that, if we confess our sins. Remember we talked about last week that the blood redeemed everybody. So everyone in this world is redeemed. However, that, that it, it, we have to put faith in the blood is what we talked about. It, it doesn't enact the blood just because he died on a cross for everyone does not mean that all are saved. You must put your faith in the blood. So he will forgive you if you confess your sin. So that means you need to find a place of repentance. If I don't repent, he won't forgive me. Okay? And then there's also personal promises. And, and since these are things that have been spoken to you, uh, I, I, we can't state whether they're unconditional or conditional uh, because they've been spoken to you. A lot of times, uh, a word from the Lord is conditional upon things that I do. <coughs> if God uh, gives me a promise of something He wants to do in my life, there's, I, I probably need to continue to obey Him and follow His word. I can't just go live however I want and then still expect it to come to pass. But there may be unconditional promises in our life as well. So these are personal things that, that I believe through prayer uh, and, and continuing to believe in the promise the Lord can bring to pass. Yet... Here's the thing, whether it's personal, conditional, unconditional, here's the one thing that remains the same. They are all divine promises. They are all God-given promises. So no matter what kind of promise we're going to talk about, though, I, I want to encourage you today, whether it's personal, conditional, unconditional, to remember that they are divine. And then second of all, that what Peter reminds us, that they are precious this morning. And there's a few reasons why they're so precious. And, and, and I feel like uh, in one of my... Uh, classes in college, we had a professor that would go through points, and he'd be a, he had to, you were graded on your notes, so you would turn in your notebook, and then he would give you a grade on that. It was a grade for the class, so you had to take notes real careful. And he'd be like, point one, point two, okay, point Z, all right, number six, all right, point twenty-five. And you're like, what in the world is going on? I feel like that this morning because I've got the first reason, then another first reason, then a second, then another second, and third. Anyway, I've got bullet points that go letters and numbers. How about that? But the first reason that the promises of God are so precious, and, and this is the key thing, is because of the source of the promise. If the promise is divine, then the source is God. And that is a comfort to me to know if the promise is from God, that, that should bring a comfort to me. And, and, and I already said it, but there are three things that I want to look at as far as what God being the source means for our promises. And there's probably more, but I just want to look at these three things. And the first one of the three things of the other three, four reasons, so this is point E, if you're taking notes, the first is that God cannot lie. If God is the source, I must remember that God cannot lie. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie, 
So if you're looking for, you know, the hidden message, there it is, that he cannot lie. Promise before the world began. So it's important for us to realize if God is the source, if the promise is divine, it's found in the word of God, or God has spoken it to me, that God cannot lie. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? It's important for us to remember that if God has given the promise, he's not a liar. And God will not be made a liar by man or by himself. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, and we're going to uh, read more of this passage in just a minute. It says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. Let me remind you this morning, whether it's promises that you're holding on to in Scripture or promises which God has spoken to you, that you can take consolation, you can take refuge, you can take comfort in this fact that God cannot lie. That means if He has said it, God is going to do it. Now, we know you've had promises in your life from people, and you may have promised people things, and then situations happen, uh, things occur, you ran out of money so you can't buy your kids whatever it was, or something happens that promises are broken on a daily basis in our lives. But I want to remind you this morning, the promises of God are precious because God cannot lie. And if he said it, then he will do it. I have to understand that with God's promises, his word, we understand how powerful the word of God is, right? That it's living, that it has the power to change and transform a life. You understand that, right? That his word, that powerful, transforming word is what binds him to fulfilling it. Because he cannot lie. So we need to take comfort in that fact. The second thing about because God is the source is his immutability or unchangeableness. Scripture uses that word immutability. So first thing is that God cannot lie. The second thing about the promises of God, because he is the source, is that God does not change. Aren't you glad that he doesn't change? Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13, we read a verse, uh, the last verse was from this passage. We're going to read the whole uh, passage here. It says, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater than he, he swear by himself. Okay? Now, you may swear on your mother's grave. That's sad. Or your mother-in-law's. <clears throat> but he could think of nothing greater than to swear by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of its counsel, confirmed it by an oath. And here's the verse we read, but that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. So he says there's two things that we can take hope in, in the promises of God. And he's speaking of Abraham. He told Abraham, surely I will bless thee and I will multiply thee. And then notice as well, it contained in the promise that he's talking about here with Abraham, there's two words that we really don't like to hear, that we don't like to have connected with our promise. We like it to be with someone else's, but with ours, we don't want patiently endured connected with our promise, right? But he patiently endured and, and God fulfilled his promise. And Abraham took comfort in these two things. First of all, that God cannot lie. I know I'm, I'm, I'm 60, now I'm 70, now I'm 80, now I'm 90. <laughs> 
and he said he would multiply me, he took comfort in the fact through it getting farther and farther away from the promise that God cannot lie, first of all. And then the second thing is that God is unchangeable. He does not change. Okay? And that's where Abraham found his comfort. And that if God hasn't changed his mind, his will, his purpose has not changed. Really, it states that we can have comfort because of his, the unchanging nature of God's will. His will and his purpose is fixed and unalterable. In fact, the only time that we find anything happening in Scripture where God changes his mind, where he repents, it simply has to do uh, uh, with his mercy. God repented and did not destroy Nineveh. It was his mercy that stepped in. Okay, but his will remains fixed. It remains unalterable. Job chapter 23 and verse 13 says, But he is in one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. If God wanted to do it 35 years ago, his will and purpose hasn't changed. God wanted to multiply Abraham, and through all the decades that he waited, God's will and purpose did not change. And so Abraham took comfort in the fact that God said it, that's what he wanted to do, and God still wants to do that. Now this is important because sometimes we like, we, well, and we'll get, we might get to this a little bit, who knows. Now Matt's in front of the clock, so now it's Matt's fault. I can't, I don't know what time it is. We'll go to 12 o'clock today in Sunday school. <clears throat> but here's the deal, is, is sometimes I mess up. And I don't know if you do. I know Blake does, and, and I do sometimes. And he sits on the front row, so he makes all kinds of mistakes and gets to be all kinds of examples. He's on the second row today. <clears throat> he's backsliding. It's because he's got his cup of coffee. He didn't want to sit in the front row. But sometimes I mess up. But you know what? Take a big drink. All right? <laughs> now he's being defiant in the second row. <laughs> I mess up sometimes. And, and, and I feel that God's called me to do something, to be something in my life. You need to realize, Scripture tells us as, as well, that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Just because your situation has changed doesn't mean the will and purpose of God has changed. Now, how that may be accomplished may change. Well, God called me to preach or do this or do that, and I messed up. I was out of church for 65 years or whatever you want to call it. But you know what? If God's called you, it may happen a little bit different, but his will hasn't changed. You need to understand that fact, that even though your circumstances may change, his desire, will, and purpose has not changed. If he wanted you to do something, he still wants you to do it. If he called you to do something, he still has called you to do it. Despite the fact you think, well, I'm not worthy now, or I can't do that anymore, or I've got 95 kids now, so I can't do that. No, you know what? It may look a little bit different, but his will and purpose hasn't changed in your life. What his soul desireth, even that he doeth. Psalms chapter 33 and verse 11 says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. And we read in Hebrews where he counseled with himself the immutability of his counsel, that, that he called a meeting and, and me, myself, and I were there. And, and they all agreed, which I don't... <laughs> that's pretty tough in my own life if I call a meeting with just myself to agree with myself. But he, he had a meeting with himself. There's no better counsel that he could find than himself. And his counsel agreed. And this, in Psalms, it says his counsel stands forever. So whatever decision he made, whatever the thoughts of his heart were, they stand to all generations. If he thought it at one time, he still thinks it. 
We already mentioned the only time we find him changing in Scripture is when uh, people appeal to his mercy. And because of his grace and mercy, he relents or he repents from doing something. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Perhaps scholars say this is a reference to the sundial which the Romans used. Uh, that, that just one little movement of the sun would change the shadow. And there's not even a little bit of a shadow of turning. It doesn't take much to turn a shadow. You ever tried to catch your own shadow? <laughs> no, just me? Okay. <laughs> and maybe, maybe there's something connected here. Maybe this is the secret thing. Because Brother Gene's mentioned about, I believe, about trying to turn off the light. And then get in bed before it. Yeah, I did that too. And then also to see, I don't know how in the world I thought I could do this, to turn off the light before my shadow hit the light. No, that's really weird. That's really weird. But it says there's no shadow of turning. That there's, there's not even the slightest little tiny bit of change. And understanding that because he is the same, understand this fact too, that he doesn't get any worse. God doesn't get worse. But understand this, God doesn't get any better. Now, that's kind of strange, because in my mind, he gets better. You know what that is? I just know him more, but he's never gotten better. He was the best, remained the best, and will always be the best. He doesn't improve on himself. He can't improve. I just get to know him a little bit more. So I need to understand that I find comfort in these things, that he cannot lie, and that he does not change. And the third thing that we can look at, because God is the source, is his reputation. The Lord is concerned with his reputation. Now, this, this is kind of strange because the same rules don't apply to God as they apply to me. Thank goodness. But there's things that we're not supposed to be or do that he's allowed to do. <clears throat> he has different rules because he's God. That's what happens when you're God. You get to apply different rules. You see, it's not all right for me to take vengeance out, but vengeance is his. I'm not supposed to be jealous, but he's a jealous God. I'm not supposed to judge others. I'm supposed to let the word do it, but God is a judge. Okay? I, I'm, the scripture advises me when I make a decision to seek out counsel of others. He just asks himself. And you know what? He's concerned with his reputation. I'm supposed to die to myself, and he is concerned with his reputation. He's concerned about how he looks. Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 11 says, For mine own sake, even mine own sake, so I think it's for his own sake, Will I do it? For how should my name be polluted, and I will not give my glory unto another? You know what? When he does something, you're not supposed to do this, but when he does something, he doesn't want to be the person in the background. Well, don't mention my name. <laughs> he wants to be out front saying, yeah, it was me that did it. Now, to, to you and I as Christians, we're supposed to die. It's like, man, that's, that's strange. He's the one, he wants to grab the mic and get right out front and say, yeah, it was me. I did all of this. Again, for us, that's like, wow. But he will not give his glory to any other. He wants all of the glory. He wants all of the praise. Isaiah 42 says, I am the Lord. That's my name. <laughs> and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Speaking of anything else, he wants no praise to go to anything else except to him. He's concerned about who gets the praise. He's concerned about who gets the glory. So, so this is how it plays out. 
Because he wants the praise, first of all, because he wants the glory, because he's concerned about his reputation, he's going to do what he said he was going to do. Because he's concerned about receiving your praise. And he wants to do something so that you'll give him praise. Because he wants glory, he wants honor. So you know what would bring him disrepute? Is if he says something and then doesn't do it. He doesn't want dishonor. You know, you, you, you know sometimes you give your word and you fulfill it. Even though you don't want to sometimes because you want to have a good reputation. That's what the Lord does. He's not just going to throw stuff out there. No, he wants the glory for it. And then also, he, he, wants to, he wants no one else to receive praise for fulfillment. So this is, this is the other thing. Because a lot of times, the promises of God have to do with the impossible, seemingly. You know why he, he likes to do impossible things? So that no one else can get the credit. He wants all the glory. He, doesn't, he, he wants to do the things that only he can do. Because he wants all the credit all the glory. 1 Corinthians one twenty six, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, just by the way, in case you're feeling like the Lord and feeling like you want some glory and, and praise, we're going to read this passage. That not many mighty, not many noble are called. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. We are the light of the world. We need to reach out. God has called us. God has chosen us. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world. That's me and you, just in case you're wondering. And God has chosen the weak things of the world. He chose the dumbest, weakest people. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> to confound the things which are, which are mighty and the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. So it says that he's chosen uh, uh, <laughs> all the people that, that are a little bit, you know, not you and I, anyway. He's chosen you and I. <laughs> he's chosen the weak things. He's chosen the base things. He's chosen the things that are despised. Why did he do that? So that when good things happen, that when a bunch of people like you and I get together and God does a, a mighty work, we can't take any of the credit because we're not too smart. We're a little bit weak. <laughs> That's the scriptures talking. That's not me. And the reason he does that is in verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. He chooses the weakest things possible. It, it says in verse 28, uh, he, he chooses the things which are not to bring to not things that are. He chooses nothing to bring everything to nothing. I mean, he, he, do, he created the world with nothing. It was by the power of his word. And so we need to understand that because of his reputation, God's promises are connected with that. That because he promised it, he wants glory, he wants praise, he wants honor. So if he's promised it, I can count on his reputation that he's going to do it. And he will give his praise to no other. This is where the problem comes in, because he doesn't want any flesh to glory. No graven images to receive praise. The problem comes when you and I think we can help out with the promise. If we help out with the promise, then we start to think we need a little bit of the praise and glory. That's why he does things and promises things that you can't do. Because he doesn't want even you to get any of the praise and any of the glory. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in him are, are in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. 
they are yea and amen. I can say yes and amen. I agree with that promise because of his glory. Because I know that if he said it, he's going to want the glory. And to get the glory, he has to fulfill the promise. Despite the fact that he will not share his glory, it leads us to the next thing about his precious promises. We found it in the passage we read to start out this whole lesson, 2 Peter 1.4. The reason his promises are precious are because of the source. God can't lie, he can't change, and his reputation demands that he fulfill his promises. 2 Peter 1.4 says, whereby are, giving, what was that? whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Despite the fact that he will not share his glory with another, this verse tells us that somehow through his promises and through the fulfillment of the promise, you and I get to experience his divine nature. We do not take on his divine nature. We do not become a part of his divine nature. Because if I become a part of God's divine nature, it's no longer perfect because I'm in it. But we experience. The word partaker means a partner, an associate, and a sharer. We get to experience that glory of God. When we are living in his promises, we become more like him naturally. If I live in the promises we find in scripture where if I obey, if I, if I follow the plan of salvation, if I do these things, I become more like him and I begin to experience more of him. That's why it seems that he gets greater is because I'm experiencing more of him and I become a greater and greater partaker of his divine nature. You see, when I have faith in his promises, when I live according to his promises that I find in scripture and what he's spoken to me, I get a greater taste of who God really is because I see more and more of who God is. If I would read through the promises of scripture and begin to claim those promises of scripture and live by those promises of scripture, I guarantee that you would become a partaker of his divine nature. When I'm in time of need, and you've been in these situations where a crisis hits, something happens, and you grab a hold of a promise of God. Peace that passes understanding. He'll never leave me or forsake me. And you grab a hold of him, and something happens. People say, well, I felt a strength I didn't have. I felt a joy. I don't know how I made it through. It was only by the grace. You became a partaker. You experienced his divine nature. What's crazy is that's the way God feels all the time. The way you felt in that particular situation, that's his character. That's who he is. Imagine what heaven's going to be like if we've just partaken of that little slice and it's that way all the time with him. But I can take comfort in that fact. It's precious because of that. It's precious because I can partake of the divine nature. His promises are precious because divine promises have divine power. Now, we've already mentioned how the Lord likes to do things that only He can do. They're from God. If I have a divine promise, though, contained in that, thank goodness is not my own power, not somebody else's power, but when there's a promise, unspoken behind it is divine power. Now, you need to understand this. God's spoken to you about something in your life. Maybe He's spoken to you about family members or kids and and. You need to understand that it's not your power that's going to make it happen. But if God has spoken it, there's a divine power backing that up. And I take comfort in that fact because it's not a regular promise. It's not some oath somebody gave me. But if it's a divine promise, there's divine power backing it up. So that means when the situation looks impossible, I don't have to worry. 
because divine power with God, all things are possible. Isaiah 14, 24, the Lord of hosts, hosts hath sworn, saying, surely as I have fought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land and upon my mountains tread him underfoot. Then shall his yoke depart from off them and his burden depart from off their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out upon all the nations. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed, and who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? That means, well, let's, let's read another verse. The Lord gives a promise, and behind that promise is his outstretched arm, this verse tells us. If the Lord purposes, and the Lord wills it, it's in his heart, his counsel, his thoughts, then behind that, backing it up, is the arm of the Lord. The arm of the Lord always signifies strength and power and might. And so we understand that the Lord said in Isaiah, you know what, I'm going to do this, and this is what's backing it up, is divine power. Something that no one can change. It says, uh, for the Lord of hosts hath pur- purposed it, and who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out. Who's going to turn back the Lord's hand? Now, you need, to, you need to remember that last part. Who's going to turn back the Lord's hand? Well, it seems so far away, and they don't even care about God. You know what? They're not, they can't break the Lord's hand. If God purposed it, it will come to pass. Amen. Understand that. Who is man to push back against the arm of the Lord? He probably couldn't push his pinky back. Never mind his whole arm. Guns like the No. But we're concerned that our, our uh, temporal and earthly circumstances and our thoughts and our emotions are going to change things. And the arm of the Lord is backing up the promises of God in our life. You need to understand that. That you can push all you want. The enemy can push all he wants, but it can't break the arm of the Lord. He hasn't given promises and then something broke his arm and he's walking around the sling now. No. I take comfort in the fact that there's a divine promise and behind it is divine power. As he has thought, it will come to pass. Romans 4, 21. And being fully persuaded, this is speaking of Abraham. Abraham was fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. You know what? That's what I need in my life. When it seems impossible, when it looks whatever, first of all, I need to understand that God only works in the impossible where he's going to get all the credit and all the glory. So you know what? I'm just going to believe it. And then understand that if he promised it, I need to be fully persuaded. If God said it, he can do it. And, and that's it. There needs to come a point in our life with certain things where it's settled. Paul talks about it when he says, you know, I wish I could go on to other things, but we've got to keep revisiting the, the first things. We've got to keep talking about why do you need to repent? Why do you need to be back? You know what? Some things need to be settled in our lives. And you know what? The reason some of us struggle so much is because we're going back and forth on whether God really can or can't do what he said. You know what? They're precious promises. His arm is backing them up. You know what? I need to settle it. God said it, so that's it. That's it final. I don't know how it's going to happen. I understand it's divine, so I can't do it anyway. Isn't that great that you don't have to figure it out? But yet, I couldn't sleep last night. kept waking up thinking about, you're never going to figure it out. Quit worrying about it and stand on the promise the precious gift of his promises. Isaiah 62 says, The Lord has sworn by his right hand. 
and by the arm of his strength. Surely I will no more give thee thy corn to be meat for thine enemies, and the sons of the strangers shall not drink any wine for the, for the which thou hast labored. Said he sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength. That means if he couldn't do it, he wouldn't have said it. How many of you made a promise and you realize as soon as it was out of your mouth, you're like, man, I, there's no way I can do that. <laughs> I should have thought before I said that. He doesn't need to. Well, he does. He takes counsel with himself, says, can I do that? Yeah, I can do that. And then he speaks it. And if he speaks it, the only reason he spoke it is because he knows that he can do it. So I need to understand that when he's sworn or promised something, it's tied to the arm of his strength. When he speaks something into my life, when I read a promise in Scripture, the promise comes with the power to perform it. A divine promise that has divine power backing it up. Now in Scripture, and I, I, would, I would challenge you, and what, yeah, we're getting ready to finish up here. I would challenge you in Scripture, there's over 3,500 promises. Some people go all the way up to 5,000. I would challenge you to look at the promises of God in Scripture. Because the vast majority of us can only probably, we've got our handful that we like to grab and claim. But there's over 3,500 promises found in Scripture. And let me just remind you that if it's in, in Mark, he promises that if we lose our lives for his sake, we'll truly find it. In Luke, he promises that when we persevere in prayer, he will hear us. In John, he promises life and life more abundantly. In Acts, he promises the Holy Ghost to us, to our children, and as many as are afar off. In Romans, he promises that our present sufferings don't even begin to compare with our eternal reward. In Corinthians, he promises that we are joint heirs with Christ, and that we are now new creations in him. Old things have passed away, and he will make all things new. In Galatians, he promises that we are free from the curse of sin because Christ became a curse for us. In Ephesians, he promises that we have been made to sit in heavenly places. In Philippians, he promises the peace of God, which passes all understanding. In Colossians, he promises that the riches of God's mystery, Christ, will dwell in us. In Thessalonians, he promises that he will return with a shout, and that present suffering will be repaid with future glory. In Timothy, he promises us that godliness with contentment is great gain and that he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. In Titus, he promises that he cannot lie. In Philemon, he promises that we can find forgiveness within the body of Christ. In Hebrews, he promises that we can uh, find help in time of temptation because he suffered what you and I go through. In James, he promises that he is faithful and true to forgive. In Peter, he promises that we have a living hope because of the resurrection and that we can make our calling and election sure. In John, he promises that perfect love casts out all fear, that those who abide in truth have the fullness of God, and that taking care of fellow laborers is pleasing and rewarding from God. In Jude, he promises us that he can keep us from falling. And in Revelation, he promises that one day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, that there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, 
for the old order of things has passed away. You know what? I'm thankful just for 27 promises of God right there. If I could start claiming those and living just those every day, just 27 out of th- over 3,500, I wonder what the Lord would do in my life. I wonder how my life would change. Let me remind you, the promises of God are precious in our life. And I know we, we, we recognize that in a knowledge way, but I want our hearts, our spirits to grab a hold and understand why they are so precious. They're a firm foundation. They're something that I can count on, that I can stand on in the middle of life throwing me all kinds of stuff and things being shaken and things going every which way. I can stand on the promises of God. Why don't we praise him this morning for his promises? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your promises. Thank you, Lord Jesus. There's plenty of promises throughout Scripture besides these, and it becomes easy for us because of life to begin to doubt those promises of God. If we're honest with ourselves, there's times that we really wonder, I know He promised He would never leave me or forsake me, but I'm wondering if He has. And if you're honest, you've probably felt that at some point too. There are times when We know that He promised that He's a provider for us. Doesn't seem like He came through. There's times that we feel like He's become my way ruiner, not my way maker. If we're honest, we doubt the promises of God because of our changing circumstances. And it's in these moments... That the enemy will like nothing more than to sneak into your life in these moments and begin to plant seeds of doubt into your mind. Maybe God's not as powerful as you thought. Perhaps this. He's powerful enough in everyone else's life. How many of you have no problem praying for other people? But then when it comes to your own life, I know he can heal them. I don't know if he wants to heal me. I, I know all the testimonies of provision, but here's my two pennies. It's easy sometimes to pray for other people. And the enemy would come in and plant seeds of doubt. Maybe his word isn't as trustworthy as what I thought it was. Or perhaps he comes in and begins to plant these seeds of doubt, and, and here's the ultimate one. And what you and I like to do a lot is we... Decide, well, maybe I need to start figuring some of these things out. You know, that's dangerous because you know what? I'm going to start stealing some of his glory. But today I want to I leave you a way of encouragement today. Hopefully it's a challenge of encouragement. That in these moments that every one of us has. Because if you live a life without some sort of doubt creeping in occasionally... Um, then you can teach Sunday school next week. How about that? On the stage. I will set up the stage for you to teach Sunday school if you say, I never have any doubts. Please, somebody. Oh, Sister Norma's coming. (laughs) She's coming right on up. (laughs) But I want to remind you today that you have a built-in encouragement For when the promises of God seem far off, whether they're promises from the word or what God's spoken to you, you have a built-in encouragement 
And again, this is probably something that I'm sure you can figure out on your own, but you probably don't think of it in this way. Maybe, maybe you do. Who knows? Anyway, you'll hear something great next week from Sister Norma. <laughs> Perhaps you've never connected it this way with the ability to strengthen your faith in His promises. It's not something, it's not some hidden gem. It's the Holy Ghost. Now, I know the Holy Ghost does all kinds of things. But let me tell you, the Holy Ghost has the ability to strengthen your faith in His promises. Okay? Now, this is important because, I mean, honestly, when you're in a crisis of faith, we'll pray, we'll do all kinds of stuff, but I'm speaking specifically about the Holy Ghost. Now, not just praying to God, but the Holy Ghost specifically. The first words that Jesus spoke about the Holy Ghost are these. John chapter 14. I will pray the Father... And he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. We forget that the Holy Ghost was not first described as a ticket for salvation, although we need it for salvation, but it was first described by Jesus as a comforter. Now we think that it, and you know that, we think, you know what, I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm down, the Holy Ghost can comfort me. But let me challenge you today to allow the fact of the Holy Ghost being a comfort. I, I want to challenge you with this fact in speaking of the precious promises. Because when Jesus promised it, it was something completely unknown. No one knew what he was talking about. No one knew what it would look like. And in between that being spoken and the promise being fulfilled, were crowds turning, a crucifixion, abandonment, no clue what to do. So all of that enduring patience was all in between Jesus saying, I'm going to send you a comforter. And they went through a time of absolute discomfort of the worst kind. They had to wait for the fulfillment. They were told to go and wait and pray. Now, doesn't that sound like your life? We know how long they prayed. They didn't know how long they were going to pray. They were just told to go pray. That sounds like your promise. You don't know when it's going to be fulfilled. You just need to keep believing and pray. The divine words were filled with divine power, though. When we read the words, suddenly a sound came from heaven. That was divine power. <clears throat> and we find Peter speaking these words in Acts chapter 2 and verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as the many as the Lord our God shall call. The ultimate way to encourage yourself in the promises of God is through the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter how far off the promise seems to be in your life. Let me remind you that he can still reach. We are now, give or take a few years, 2,000 years removed from the promise. We are now 2,000 years removed from Acts chapter 2 and verse 39. The promise is unto you. It's reached through 2,000 years. Peter spoke those words with no earthly idea who you were. And yet the promise has reached through 2,000 years to you and I. Let me remind you that when I pray in the Holy Ghost, I need to be encouraged in His promises. I need to be reminded that His arm is not short. He's been fulfilling a promise for 2,000 years. In fact, Peter spoke those words, Acts 2.39, and today that promise can still be fulfilled. If he can fulfill a promise 
2,000 years after the fact in somebody's life today. Let me ask you, why have you lost faith because it's been six months, five years, 10 years, 50 years, 85 years? Why have you lost hope? You know what? I don't often think of it this way, but perhaps what I really need is just to come to the altar and speak in tongues if I've got doubt in my promise. Because when I begin speaking in tongues, all of a sudden I'm reminded of a promise he gave 2,000 years ago. And his arm is not short. He said it. He has a reputation to uphold. He didn't lie when he said it's, uh, it's unto you, to your children, all those that are far off. His reputation demands that he must still fulfill with the Holy Ghost because he said it. He doesn't change. He said it back then. It wasn't for just back then. It was for you and I today. So if he made that promise that long ago, and it's still happening today, despite everything that's happened in the world since... 2,000 years. Think of just five wars in 2,000 years. Think of how the world has changed in 2,000 years. And he's still fulfilling his promise. If you're lacking faith in the promises of God today, whether they're scriptural or personal, I would challenge you. You know what? You may not think of it in this way. You may know I need the Holy Ghost and I need it. to. But I challenge you to increase your faith in the promises, to establish your feet on the promises of God today. Why don't you enact the gift that has been given to you, the promise that has been given to you, and begin to pray in the Spirit whenever you need strength? He fulfilled, that's the greatest promise that he ever gave, was that there would be a comforter sent to you and I. If he fulfilled the greatest promise, how much easier is it for God to save my kids? How much easier it is for, for him to fill, fulfill a ministry in my life, to never leave me, to never forsake me, to bring peace in my situation, to give me a sound mind in my life? How much easier is it to do that if he's filled me with the Holy Ghost today? I want us to stand this morning. I'm thankful for Acts 2.38, but I would challenge you from this point on, whenever the enemy sneaks into your life, whenever whenever your kids go the exact opposite way than what you think they should be going, whenever the promise seems to be going farther and farther away, I would challenge you to thank God for Acts 2.38 and then remember Acts 2.39. And say, you know what, Lord, it's been 2,000 years. And you know what, I can lift my hands and begin to speak in a heavenly language right now. And all, everything that's taken place, that promise is still being fulfilled today. You know what, I'm going to rest assured in the promises that you've given me. The promises in Scripture, I'm not going to doubt, but I'm going to have faith. I want us to pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we come before you.